0: Okay. Good morning. Today's daf is daf Pei Aleph. I'm going to go from the Mishnah at the bottom of Pei Amud Beis ATB. Today's shi is Leil ben sion Ben Ze'ev Avram Halevi, Mayer Ben Shlomo, Avram Ben Mayer, and Yecheskel Ben Chaim yitzhak. May the neshamos have an Aliyah and may the memory be a blessing. Um, so the Mishnah is continuing with the discussion of setting up the Arub, So it says. And Bechol Ma'arvim, um, again, uh, fifth last line of Pam with Baith, ATB. Bechol Ma'arvim, you can make an Eruv with anything, any food. Umishtatvim, or a shituf, chutz mina mai mina melech, except for water and salt. Divre Rabbi Eliezer, that's Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Rabbi Yeshua says no. Kikar hu It has to be a loaf of bread. It says not only that. feel mapa say, Even if it's a huge loaf of bread, but it's broken, You can't use it for an Eruv. Kikar ki isar But if you have a tiny roll, that's the size of the isar, a tiny coin, But it's a whole, my You can use it for an Eruv. We'll see shortly in the Mishnah. We'll see in the Gemara why he holds it. Why he can't. Why you can't have a broken piece of bread at the Eruv. But on the surface, the machloikes seems to be in a, at least, uh, it's a bit of a discussion, but at least in the ayruv Chatzairos, there's this machloikes we made, well, yeah, it's a discussion what Eruf we refer to, whether it's a Shittuf or any Eruf, but at least in the Eruf Chatsairos, there seems to be a machloikes, whether does the Eruf have to be bread or can it be anything? So the Gemara says we've already learned this Mishnah before. It says, You can make an Eruv out of an and a Shituf out of anything except water and salt. This is if the right at the beginning of the third Perek. I'll just read you the opening line of the Perek. tell me if it sounds uh, familiar. ma'arvim chutz Maimumina you can make an Eruv with anything except water and salt. So what? You, what's our Mishnah repeating itself and coming along and saying this again? So he says, so, Umar, Rabbi, Lafouk, Rabbi Yeshua. No, Rabbi Abba says it's coming to exclude from Rabbi Yeshua. The Omar who says, Kikar in You're only allowed to make a Eruv with bread and nothing else. Kamash Milan Bechol, It's coming to teach us that you can make an Eruv with anything. I you might have thought that there it's discussing an Eruv Tchumim. And maybe by an Eruv Tchumim, it can be anything, like the Mishnah over there says. But maybe by an Eruv Chatzeros it has to be bread like Rabbi... Um, it would, the Chachomim would agree that it has to be bread. That's why we need to repeat it over here when we're discussing Eruv Chatzairos and a Shittuf, that it really can be... Um, even an Eruv Chatzeros, according to Rebeleza can be made of out of anything, if we are maybe we're discussing a <laughs> Okay, then the buyer buyer challenged us. B'chol Ma'arvim We'll read this price on the surface and then we'll correct how you're going to have to read it based it doesn't make sense. It says, B'chol Ma'arvim Chatzeros. You can make an Eruv Chatseros out of anything. And you can make a shituf of out of any, anything. Anything means any food. And this that they said you have to make an Eruv out of bread is for a Chatser. An Eruv Now that doesn't make sense. Because the opening line was you can make an Eruv Chatseros out of anything. And the last line is that. This that it has to be bread is a chotzer, Eruv chotzeros. So, the how you have to read this price is when it says you can make an Eruv out of anything, it means any type of bread, but a shit of mavos can be out of any food. And then he says from there, he says, Man Shmaslo law do omar pass in law. Who's the opinion that we know? That says you can only make an Eruv out of bread? Rebbe Yeshua, Rebbe Yeshua, ukatani, and it still says bakol. Our Mishnah says bakol, and it's Rebbe Yeshua. So, what does it mean as I explained? What is, you can make the Eruv out of anything according to Rebbe Yeshua? Any type of bread. It doesn't have to be specifically challah, specifically wheat bread, as we'll see. It can be any type of bread. But again, it uses the word bakol to mean not any food, but any bread. So you could say the exact same thing in our Mishnah. When our Mishnah comes along and says, B'kol Ma'arvim, you can make an Eruv out of anything, maybe it doesn't mean any type of food. It actually means any type of bread. So the Gemara says, So, Elo Bar Barchana." So again, we back to our initial question. Why does Al-Mishnah seem to repeat the opening phrase of Al-Mishnah? It repeats the opening phrase at the beginning of the third perech. He says, He's actually just coming to argue on the point of, does it have to be whole? Rabbi Yashua says it has to be a whole loaf as opposed to a piece of bread. He comes to teach that it can be made out of anything. I, Rabbi Yushua, actually had argued on two points, but now we're saying it's actually only one. We assume that the two points Rabbi Yeshua was arguing on was that you have to use bread and nothing else. And secondly, it has to be a whole loaf or a whole roll as opposed to a piece of uh, a piece of bread or half a loaf. Now we come, and that's what Bakul Arvim, the Tanakam of the mission is saying, I agree to you that it has to be bread, but there's no, it can be whole or half. Uprus my time alone. Why can't you use a piece of bread? What's wrong with that? Again, Rabbi Shul seems quite adamant and quite strict that you only use a um a whole loaf. So Rabbi Rebyosi ben shul, ben shul says it's because of Ava. I what's gonna happen? People are gonna start fighting. Remember, what do you do? Each person puts Food in for the of and they pull their resources. Now one person's gonna come along and say, Look, I put in a whole loaf and you only put in a half loaf or you put in a slice of bread, I put in a whole a whole khala, and people are gonna start fighting. Um and very interestingly I remember quoting it, but I didn't I, I couldn't remember the source. But uh so, And um, the riff here says, very interestingly, he says, so what? Like get, like, get over yourself. We need to make an Eruv. Why should an Eruv be invalid, according to Rebushur, if people might start fighting or get upset with each other because one person put in a whole challah and one put in, one person put in a piece of a challah? So the riff here quotes Yerushalmi. Um, and we mentioned this in the past, but here now we have this, now I know where the source is. It says, um, he says, he brings, the, remember the riffs of the halacha. The riffs primarily just there to bring the halacha conclusion from the Gemara. So he brings this point, he says, "My What's the reason you're not allowed to make an Eruv with pieces of bread? Because it will cause farting, it will cause enmity between people. And he brings Yerushalmi, from the Yerushalmi, What's the reason that we make Eruv Chatseros? What's the reason that we enable everyone to carry between the house and the courtyard and the other houses? It is because of Darkei Shalom, so that there's peace between the people. So that's, uh, and it carries on a little bit, but here we see one of the main purposes of an Eruv is for Darkei Shalom, so that it's easy for people to go visit and mix and share their food and go out for lunch. So, that's uh, I think that's an important point to keep in mind, one of the main reasons behind an Eruv, um, which, we, which we have mentioned in the past. Then the Gemara says, Well, then, what would be the halacha if everyone used pieces of bread? Uh, you tell. Granted, if you're going to have some, you tell everyone we make it an Eruv, and one person comes and puts a whole challah, and one person puts a half a challah, and one person puts a slice of bread, you're going to end up with. But what happens if you decide in your thoughts You're not everyone's going to put one slice of bread to the arov. Surely that should that you're not going to have any machlokes there. So he says, no, No, it's going to uh, come back to haunt you. At some point, someone's going to they're going to have to refill it or whatever. Someone's going to add a whole loaf. They're going to see that someone he's going to start getting upset that not everyone was as generous as him. So. There's a blanket rule of contrary, if you're sure, you're not allowed to use half loaves. Um yeah. Now now we're gonna discuss what's considered whole. Like how, how whole does it actually have to be? So I'm gonna be or or dimur, ma If the amount cut off this loaf of bread was the amount of its challah or the amount of a truma mixture you can use it for the eruv what's the amount of challah so we know when you make as we'll see we'll see the exact measurements shortly but when you're making dough from flour and water you have to separate a piece of that dough for uh, for the kahen if you forgot to separate it when it was still dough, then even once it's baked, then you cut off a piece of the bread and give it to the kohen. That's challah. Uh, more is remember if truma gets mixed in with chulin food. I, uh, you had let's say you had regular flour and flour that was truma and it got mixed together. Generally, you would not be if it's bottle. I, uh, if it's one out of a hundred, etc. You're not allowed to. It's not. It doesn't make the whole loaf considered truma, so you're still allowed to eat it. But you have to give a token. You have to give the amount of truma that got mixed in to a kohen so that he doesn't lose out financially. So it's no isur, It's not like considered truma because it's bottle, but financially, if it was a hu- uh, you had, you'd have to take off the amount of truma of of uh, you know, the the equivalent from the bread, the amount of truma. Now, why would those? So what are we saying that? If you had a whole loaf of bread, the Eruf has to be a whole loaf of bread. If you had a whole loaf of bread, but you had to cut off the end to give it to the Kohen for challah, or to give it to the Kohen because it's the equivalent of the amount of truma that got mixed into the bread, it's still considered a whole loaf of bread. Interestingly enough, they give, the reason they give, uh, sorry, not the reason, part of the Underlying thing is you can't eat the bread without having taken the truma or the demur out of it. So therefore, now it's actually a, it's only really a whole loaf that's edible now. But these, but, but the Gemara also says, Oh, but we had a price which says if you take out the amount of dimur which is one, one, one in one hundred, if that's how much truma is bought or one in a hundred. So it's a, if you can imagine, you got a roll." you take off one percent one percent of that roll it's a tiny amount that's why it's not such a problem or if you've got a huge khala, one percent of that khala, that's why it's such a little bit but the actual one, one, one loaf if you've got a whole loaf of bread to cut off a small slice one percent of it which is the dimur it's not as significant but khala if you separate it, cut off the end of the bread to give to the Kohen as challah, then you run into trouble. Then it's too, you can't use that for the Eruv. It's considered a broken piece of bread. See, the Gemaranth is Lokash, No, this that we said it's still considered whole is if you cut off the amount of challah that a baker has to separate. But if you cut off the amount of challah that a homeowner making their personal bread has to separate, then it's considered a piece. It's not considered a whole loaf anymore. Where do we see that? The tenanis we learned in a mishnah: Shiru chalech on me esrim va'arba beno. If you're making, yeah, the, the amount of chale you have to separate is one in twenty-four. This is if you're making dough for yourself. And even if you're making it for a wedding, so you are making a lot of bread, since you're making it in your personal capacity, you, only, you have to separate 1 24th as, as what you give to the coin. If you're a baker making to sell, or even a woman who's started a bakery in, a, in her kitchen and she's making to sell, then you only have to separate one in forty eight So the amount of khala if you're a baker, how much challah are you separating from your dough? One forty-eighth. If you're a... Which is, what's that, like almost two percent, not even two percent of the dough. If you're a homeowner making chala, it's, it's a more significant amount. It's, it's about four percent. Almost four percent that you're separating. Because you're separating one twenty-fourth, so, so so therefore that's a more significant amount. So if you were a bake, if it was a baker and he cut off a tiny slither at a, a thin piece at the end of the bread, and used it for the air of that's fine. But if it's someone who was baking in their personal capacity and they had to cut off a thicker piece, almost five percent of the bread, well then it looks. Incomplete and it wouldn't count as a whole loaf anymore. What happens if the bread broke in half? So Rav says you can stick it together with toothpicks. Uh, you put like a splint inside and hold it together with a toothpick. It says, But didn't we say you're not allowed to make an of in that case? says, no, lo kasha, hoda, yoda, It depends, is it recognizable, how clear, how recognizable is it that you stuck it together? If you can put it together that it's not so clear, and it's held together by the toothpick or whatever you, however you stuck it together, that's fine. But if it's still very clear that it was a broken loaf, or that it's a broken piece of bread that you just put together, then you would not be allowed to use it for your ayruf. Um. Just interesting, I was thinking about it, um, How does this tie in with the halachas of, we know, for Shabbos? There's a special mitzvah that on Shabbos you're supposed to say hamotzi at each of the meals over two whole loaves of bread. So what happens if there's a thin slither cut off the end of the bread? Is it still considered a whole loaf? And secondly, and we can ask this question. Also, what happens if you stack it together? So I remember in Aloha seeing that if it's your, if you don't have another option, let's say you uh, you brought six loaves for you, you brought six rolls for Shabbos, and you had two at supper, two at lunch, and now you got two for shlishit and one of them breaks. Okay, Surah is not as strict anyway, but then you can put a, a splinter or some a toothpick or something and hold them together. But again, that wouldn't be ideal, but you can. But I'm not sure about if you cut off a, sl- a thin thin slice of the bread, if it's still considered whole or not. I was just wondering how similar these halokas are. Umarbizar omar shmu, ma arvim, but pas or You can even use rice bread or millet bread. And omar maruk vildidim of shmu, but pas ores, my but pasdoichen ain't my arvim. Marukva said, Shmuel told me that you're not allowed to make it with millet bread. Oh, that's just not really. These are very low quality breads, rice bread and millet bread. But Shmuel says, millet bread's pushing your luck. You can't use that for your Eruv. Omar Chia Rav, Ma'arvin Chia Avin said, in the name of Rav, you can make an Eruv with. Sorry, one second. And said name of Rab Ma you can even use lentil bread as the bread for your Arab. This can't be. In the time in the day in the, in the life of Shmuel he made some of this bread, this lentil bread, and he threw it to a dog and the dog wouldn't even eat it. Uh, we always say like a dog will eat anything. This bread, this lentil bread a dog wouldn't even eat it. So the Gemara answers, no, it wasn't pure lentil bread. He says, Ahudashar Minim Havei. That was actually a mixture. Dixiv as it's written. Now this is interesting. This is Yehezkel speaking. Um, it was What Hashem told Yehezkel to do certain actions as a warning to the Jews what they would have to go through. So he says, Basically, take a whole mixture wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, Um, kusmim, I think spelt, and mix them together to make a loaf of bread. Now that's this loaf of bread, and basically that's what the Jews, if they don't uh, do tshuva, will have to eat in the future. Um, And he says that's the bread that Shmuel made that he threw to his dog, and his dog wouldn't even eat it. But pure lentil bread, granted it's not the best, it's uh, okay. It's edible. Rav Papa Omar he but Btsaas Adam Havei says the bread that Yeheskel made was also baked on a fire made with human excrement. To see as is written Vehe Bigla Leitzas Adam Ta'genolei Neim, he baked it before them on a heap of uh, tsah. Oh, and Ma Veugas Sha'orim Ta'chleno Ah well then what does the beginning of the pasuk which says Ah uh, Barley, a loaf of barley will be eaten. I sound, we've just pointed out it was a whole mixture of grains. This horrible bread that Jehezkel made. So why does the Posik start saying that it's barley? So Urim. Gizda says, um, I wasn't sure if this meant, either means that they rationed it. I, it you'll be so scared about starve, about starving that you'll ration it even that you'll treat this bread as valuable this very repulsive bread as valuable that you will ration it or another possibility as I said I didn't I didn't get a chance to look into the context um, but maybe it's saying that they'll be so starving that they'll eat this in shiurim in large measure they'll eat it like they eat normally bread Um, right so that's and no, this bread that Jehezkel made was like in the shape of barley bread, but not in the shape of wheat bread. They used to take care to make their wheat bread look delicious in a nice shape and things like that, but their barley bread they didn't care about. So this bread that Jehezkel made was very inferior. So what's the the general rule? Not sure exactly how we pass it. But according to the Amwarayim, basically anything that would be called the bread and is edible, even if it's very low quality bread, could be used for the Eiruv. So you don't have to go to the bakery and get the fancy, what's a 30 rand roll to make your ayruf. You can uh, get a, get the cheapest roll you can find. And that would still be okay, again, as long as it's not inedible. Um. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking, uh, just popped into my mind, I'll just mention the question I'm thinking about, is I asked, um, we said, the Eruv has to be edible. We know that it has to be accessible. And we've actually discussed before, um, can you use Truma? Because only Kohanim can eat Truma if you're not a Truma. So can you use Truma food as your Eruv? We discussed that earlier on in the Masechta. So I was just thinking, what happens if you're someone who's like particular to not eat Pasakum? don't know if you've heard about it, but we, there's, a, there's, there's a weird lenient that if the bread is baked by a baker, even if it's a non-Jewish baker, it's kosher, and that's government bread. As long as, obviously, you know the ingredients are kosher, you can eat it even if it's baked by a non-Jew. Some are particular, and this is a, um, particular to only eat what's called Pash Yisrael, baked, uh, bread baked by a Jewish baker. So if you're one of those people who are particular, again, it's a Chumrah, would you be allowed to make an Eiruv with government bread? Or would you have to use... Uh, um, or would you have to use Pas yisrael? Um, Okay, that's something I was just thinking about now. But that's more, as I said, that's more relevant to the earlier sugyas about if you can use something that's awesome to you but mutar we'll to other people, or what if it's not really awesome to you? Um, but yeah, well, let's start the new Mishnah. Last Mishnah of the parak. Quite a tricky Mishnah to end off this parak, but it's not too bad. Noisem Odom, mei lechenvani ule nachtom kadeshiyazak el eruv divrei Rabbi Eliezer. You can give money to the shopkeeper or the baker to, try, to join you in the Eruv, according to Rebbe Eliezer. What's he saying? If one of the residents of the chotzer is a shopkeeper, so instead of going to the shop and buying a loaf of bread and, or a barrel of wine and contributing it to the Eruv, what do you want to do? You go to the shopkeeper who lives in the thing and you tell him, here, here's 10 rand. When people come to buy food for to, to make the Eruf for our chotzer, just give them an extra portion for me. Now, the problem with this, as we'll see, well, let's read the Chachomim and then we'll explain it. No, he doesn't merit to be part of this Eruf through handing over his money. What's the reason behind the Chachomim? And then we'll see why Rabbi is a Is we know that by you can't, you can't be koine Metaltalin, you can't acquire movables by just trans handing over money. When you go into the shop and you pay, it's not your food until you've actually taken it. That's the, we'll discuss that a little bit more in the Gomorrah. But you can't acquire metaltolin with just handing over money. So when this person comes and he gives this baker 10 rand, to join him in the arav what's he telling him he's telling him i want to buy some food to contribute in the arav so please give that food to them to contribute to the arav but since he gives the money he never ever acquires any food okay he never has any food and therefore, what's he contributing to the Eruv? Again, he seemed like he was quite particular, quite confident that he doesn't. That he wants to be the one to buy some food and contribute it to the Eruv, to join in the Eruv of the chotze. And by the fact that he's not made any kinyan on the food, he doesn't own any food to contribute to the Eruv. So there, so that's why the Chachomim said it can't work. And therefore our question in the Gemara is actually going to be, according to Rebeleza, why does it work? Again, when you give money to the shopkeeper who stays in your chotzer and say, please, join me in the Eruv. Sorry, well, yeah, use, use this money to join me in the Eruv. You're telling him that you want to buy some of his bread or food and you want to use that food for the Eruv. But you actually never go through with the sale by the fact that you don't make a Kenyan. Says, However, the Chachamim agree with other people that you do get the money. That you, you, with the money you merit the Eruv and and you would, um, yeah, the Chachamim who said previously if you go to a shopkeeper or a baker and give them money, the Eruv doesn't work. If you go to a regular person, the Eruv does work. And the reason for this, Rashi explains, is when you go to a regular person and you say, here's 10 rand, please join me in the Eruv. It's not the same as when you go to the shopkeeper and you say, here's ten rand, please join me in the Eruv. When you go to a regular person, one of your, the members of the chotzer, and you say, here's ten rand, please join me in the Eruv, you're asking him to, you're paying him to be your shliach to do whatever is necessary to join you in the Eruv. You're not paying him because you want to own the bread, etc. You're just telling him, here, I need some, I'm a bit busy today, please go sort it out for me. You're making him your shliach to set up the Eruv. However, when you go to a shopkeeper and you say, please, you give, here's 10 rand, please join me in the Eruv, what you're doing with the shopkeeper is you're saying, I want to buy bread from you to use that bread in the Eruv. And as we said, the sale doesn't go through because there's no kinyan. And then he says, You're only allowed to make an Eruv with the person's consent, with the person's awareness. So when you pay a chenvoni or a nachtom what is that Yeah. when you pay a, um, a chenvoni or a nachtom what you want is to buy food to contribute to the Eruv and they can't provide that food without doing a kinyan so that's the difference again it's, a, it's, a, it's tricky because we've got to think in the terms of a kinyan and What you're actually asking the person to do, but ainachinami, if you would very clearly specify to the shopkeeper that you're not buying the food from him, you're just paying, you're asking him to be your shaliach to join you in the eruv, then it would be fine. Because again, the problem's not that the shopkeeper can do it on behalf. You can always, as we've seen, you can always go to someone and ask them to, as a, to be your shaliach, your messenger, to set up the eruv. So what would be the, again, what's the concern when you go to the shopkeeper? Is you're not asking him to be your shliach to join you in the Eruv. You're asking him, you're buying some food to contribute to the Eruv. And that, the Kenyan doesn't take take effect. So you never get the food to contribute to the Eruv. And you never... You never get the food to contribute to the Eruv. And therefore, and you've highlighted that you want to contribute your own food so no one can do it on your behalf. Okay, next point in the Mishnah. When is this that you can't make an Eruv without someone's consent? With the Eruv Tchumim. You can do whether or not with or without his consent. Why? Because you can do something good on behalf of someone, but you can't do something detrimental on behalf of someone. Uh, this is an important, uh, common principle throughout uh, uh, monetary law and stuff. You can always do something that's beneficial on behalf of someone and assume he would want it without getting his permission. Uh, you want to deliver something to my house? You, oh, I'm delivering something to your house and you're not there. I know you'd like it so I can acquire it on your behalf. You know, things like that. You can do something beneficial on behalf of someone. You can't do something detrimental unless they give you permission. Setting up an Eruv Tchumim is a bit detrimental. Why? Because, remember, you're limited to your to 2,000 Amos to your Eruv. So if I set my Eruv up in the west, I can't walk to the east. But maybe So you can't set it up on behalf of someone when you're going to restrict him. Maybe he doesn't want to be stuck to only walk 4,000 Amos to the west. Maybe he'd rather be able to go a bit to the east. So that's the thing. Whereas a Chotzer, you just enable him to carry. So we can assume that's uh, beneficial across the board. Okay, then the Gemara says, my time at Derbelezer. So now we say, what's the reason behind Derbelezer, or Moshach? At the end of the day, he didn't do Meshichah. So what's, again, this is the question. According, We started off the Mishnah. This is back to the beginning of the Mishnah. We said that if you go up to a shopkeeper and you say, here's 10 rand for some bread, please join me in the Eruv. What are you asking him to do? You're buying bread that you want him to just give to someone else. But you never ever do a Kinyan on that bread. You didn't do Meshikha. You didn't pick that bread up. You didn't pull that bread into your, into your property. So how can you say that you've done a good Kinyan? So how can you, how can you join in the Eruv when you never ever acquired own the bread that you want to participate in the Eruv with? So, Omer <speaking> Rabbin Nachman, Omer Rabbin Baravu, also Rebbe Lozal, Katalit Prokim Bishonah. Rebbe is saying, this case is the same as the four times a year. What's the four times a year? So, Zetanayin, <speaking> we learned in the Mishnah, Betalit Prokim, Elu Mishchitin Esatevach Bal you can force the four times a year where you can force the butcher to shecht on your behalf a If the ox has a has if the, the sorry the butcher has an ox worth one thousand gold dinner and you want to buy just one dinner of meat, you can force him to shecht the animal. What are these four times of the year? They are, um, it's Erev Pesach, Erev Shavuos, Erev Rosh Hashanah, I'm trying to think of the other one, Erev Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, and Erev Sheminiat Those are the four times a year that everyone wants meat, and therefore you can pressurize the butcher, even though, remember, they didn't really have fridges and freezers and stuff, so he wants to, the butcher wants to know that if he shech's his ox, he's going to be able to sell most of it. But you on those four times a year, you can force him to sell it. But it says, But therefore, if the ox dies without schritte, or the shritta didn't work, or something like that, then he loses out. He has to still pay the dinner, even though he doesn't get the meat. Now the Gemara asks, What do you mean he loses out? He's never done a Kenyan. You go up to the butcher and you say, Please, I want uh, some uh, beef ribs. And he says, well, sorry, I'm not shechting my ox. You say, too bad, it's Erev Yom I'll pay you for them. You have to shech your ox. So you have to, shekht. then the animal dies. So he said, the owner, the one who, had the lokeach, the buyer, has to still pay for the ribs, even though he's not getting them, because the animal died without shchita. He says, oh, but he didn't do a kinyan. So I'm a Ravuna, Ravuna says, no, it must be a case where he did a kinyan before. So he pulled, he did meshich on the animal. Therefore, those ribs became his ribs. And therefore, when the butcher shechs the ox, well, they his ribs that died and he would still have to pay for it. He says, oh, But what about the latter clause? It says, This is not so the rest of the year. You can't force the butcher to... Shecht for you, but if he wants to, but if he decides to shecht the animal, well, it's on the seller, it's on the butcher's head, and, and any loss he would have to incur. Now, am I But if you did mashicha, why should he lose out? Again, random Wednesday in the middle of the year, you go to the butcher and you say, I want some ribs. He says, Sorry, I don't have an animal. You say, Please, I really, really want them. He says, Okay, I'll shecht my cow. And he goes and he shefts his cow, or he's about to sheft his cow, and it dies. Now, if you did mashikha, if you already did a Kinyan, well, then you should have to pay. Even though you're not getting the meat, you already acquired the ribs before the Shchites. So you should have to pay. So it can't be that you've done Meshichah. So, so one answer is, He says, No, the cases where you didn't do mashikha. And the, those four special occasions during the year... He acquired it through someone else. But Talat prokim Elu, the chusulah is considered beneficial to him. Zakin loy shaloi b'fanov. So you can do it on his behalf, even if he's not there. B'Shayim HaSashana, the On the rest of the year, we view it as detrimental. And chavim loy adam elo b'fanov. You can't do something that obligates a person unless he's there. I, on those four times a year, everyone wants meat. They want meat for Pesach. They want meat for shmini Atzeres, etc. And therefore... On those four times a year you can assume even though he loses money by going into a sale, whenever you buy something you lose money. It's what he wants and it's beneficial because everyone wants meat. However, the rest of the year, it's actually detrimental while you're getting meat. You're actually losing money, so therefore you can't do it on his behalf. So that's his answer. But now the import so yeah, so let's just go back to where we were to to just fit this in. We started off by uh, saying that there are four times a year you can force the butcher to Shecht an animal for you. But if the animal dies, you still have to pay him for the meat you wanted. So he said, when can that be? You never did a king on the meat. It's all his. So if the animal dies, he should lose out. Why should you have to pay for meat that was never yours? So he's saying, no, actually, those four times a year, he does, someone else acquires it on your behalf, which is considered beneficial. So he does. So even though the animal subsequently dies before you get the meat, it was your... Meat it was your ribs on that uh, on, on that cow, and that's why um, you would have to pay. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Ela, or Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Laza says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Now this is the important one for us. But Prokim Al Torah. You go back to the words of the Torah. To Om Rabbi Yochanan, the Torah, Miles Koinas. Rabbi Yochanan holds that according to the Torah, money acquires. Om Ibnay, my Omru Mashicha Koinas. So then, why did they say you have to do Mashicha? In case the seller says, Oh, very sorry, your wheat got burnt in my attic. What's he saying? According to the Torah, as soon as you hand over the money, you've done a kinyan. Okay. As soon as you've handed over the money, you've done, it's your thing. However, the sages came along and said, we say the sale isn't finalized until the buyer does mashikh until the buyer takes the produce. And the concern is because what's going to happen, I'm going to come to the, I'm going to go to someone, I'm going to buy some wheat. I'll say, I'll send my driver tomorrow to collect it. And overnight, his warehouse catches on fire. He's not going to bother to save it because it's not his. So therefore, Chazal said that the an Institution attacked Zayra that you only acquire it once you've taken the produce. And therefore, as long as it's still in your warehouse, it's still your, it's still yours. Um, but now, what are we saying? That Rebbe let's fit this in with our Mishnah. Rebbe came along and said, if you go to a shopkeeper and you say, here's 10 rand, please join me in the Eruv really that shouldn't work because you haven't done meshicha. but rebilezer goes on the dorisa law and says that no money acquires miles koinos, and therefore um in this case by ruvin you can go based on the dorisa law and say that that is a good kenyan so as soon as you pay the shopkeeper or the baker for the food, you want to join in with the Eruv, it becomes your food. And therefore, even though you haven't picked it up, and therefore when he puts it in the barrel or the basket for the Eruv, it's a good Eruv. Okay, but now the sages said that's not valid. Rebileze said it's a valid deal. I.e. If you give the baker money, the transaction is finalized. And therefore, when he puts that food or gives that food to someone to put in the Eruv for you, it's a good Eruv. But the Rabbis came along and said, No, it's not good because you haven't done a Kenyan. However, by, other, by, by all other people it works. So the Mora says, Who's these other people? So We're referring to one of the homeowners, one of the residents of the Chotzer. This mission is only regarding a you would acquire a share in the Eruv. Sorry. And what's the reason? So that's as I explained. Because when you go to a regular person and you say, here's 10 Rand to join me in the Eruv, you're not saying, here's 10 Rand to buy that I'm paying you for food to put in the Eruv. That's only if you go to the baker and you say, here's 10 Rand to join me in the Eruv. When you go to a regular person and you say, here's 10 Rand to join me in the Eruv, what are you saying? Please uh, just do whatever's necessary to join me in the Eruv. And you're not buying anything from him. You're just paying him to work, to do, to do a favor. Says, and this that we said, it doesn't work by a baker. is where you try to pay him with money. But if you gave him a kli, then it's what's called a Kenyan Halipin and it would work. I, we know that, or a Kenyan Sudar. There are different ways of doing a Kenyan. One way of doing a Kenyan is if I give you an article... Then the item in question transfers into my property. So if you go to the baker and you say, "Here, look, I've got this uh, beautiful watch. Take the, or or here's a, a handkerchief. Let me have some bread." Then it would be effective because it's a good kinyan and the food becomes yours. For This is all where he says, "Acquire for me." But if you ask, "Join me in the eruv." Make an Eruv for me, Shliach shaviyah Bakoni. Then you're making him a Shliach, and he acquires a share in the Eruv. Again, as I've explained, if you go to the baker and you say, here's 10 Rand for some bread to join in the Eruv, then you're trying to bar the bread to join it in the Eruv. And that's where the whole question, like the Chachamim said, that it doesn't work because you never acquire the bread. But if you say to him, here's ten rand, please join me, make the Eruv for me, or join me in the Eruv, then you're not paying him for food, you're paying him to set up the Eruv. And that you can do, because as we know, you can set up an Eruv on behalf of someone else. Rabbi Yudha came along and he said, when is this that you can't set up the Eruv without his awareness is for a Eruv Tchubim, because it's detrimental. But if it's Eruv where it's completely detrimental, you can even set up the Eruv without his consent. Where, sorry, where it's completely beneficial, Eruv Chavterus is beneficial, and therefore you can set it without set it up without his consent. So Omar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Rav Yehuda said in name of Shmuel, Halacha Karebi Yehuda. The Halacha is like Rebi Yehuda. Veloy ela makom Yehuda, but Any time you find Rebi Yehuda's opinion in the Mishnah, the Halacha is like him. Amar Le Rav Chanab, Dossal Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel. Rav Chana Baghdadis said, according this, according to Rav Yehuda I feel a maboy shenitlu Are you saying Alach is like them, even if you have a maboy whose cross beam or lechi was taken on Shabbos? I imagine you set up the eiruv. Remember, you have a three a three-sided maboy, so you put a cross beam or a lechi by the opening to that to that maboy. What happens if something happens to that lechi or the cross beam over Shabbos? Is the eiruv broken? Or is it still a good Eruv? So he's asking, would you even pass leniently like Rebbe Yehuda in that case that it's still a valid Eruv? Oh, you don't have the four walls anymore, so how can you count it as a valid Eruv? So, Loch, Yeah, I said, that loch is like him regarding the Eruv, I setting up the food, etc., but not regarding what's considered a valid partition. Now, Amalei Rabashi, Halacha By the fact that. Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel that the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda. What are you implying? That the rabbis argue on this point. Because if the rabbis and Rabbi Yehuda agreed, then you don't have to say the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda. You just leave it as it is and that's the only option because there's no argument. But you're telling me that they're arguing. He says, I've got a problem with telling me that Rabbi Yehuda is arguing on the sages. He says, well, Rabbi, ben Levi, kom Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi ben Levi taught us that any time in a Mishnah you find Rabbi Yehuda say, a Mosai, when is this? Or Uvama, the Mishnah says, "When the Mishnah." Aino ella lafarish dibreichachomim. He's coming to explain um, the chachomim. So, what's happening here? If you look at our Mishnah, we brought the sages of the, we brought the sages, and then he says, "Omar Rebbe Yehuda bamed vori mamurim." When is this? Now, we just saw that Rebbe Shua ben Levi taught us. That any time Reb Eulah says, Bamed for He's not arguing on the previous opinion. He's explaining the previous opinion. So he's not arguing. That's his question. But then the Gemara says, But wait, the other way around is difficult. So you want to say that they're not arguing. He says, We learned in a pre- previous mission, this is what we learned yesterday, if there are more residents join the city or join the courtyard, you can add on to the eruv, but you have to inform them. What do we see here? What do we see from there? You have to inform them. Rabbi Yehuda just told us that where there's an Eruf, sorry, where you're making an eruv Chatzairus, you don't have to inform them, because it's beneficial. We learnt in a previous Mishnah that you do have to inform them. So clearly they are arguing. Someone says, no, That's not a difficulty. There the case is you have one chotzer between two different Maboys. How does that explain it? So remember, what's the underlying logic behind Rabbi Yehuda? The underlying logic behind Rabbi Yehuda is you can do something beneficial on someone else's behalf But you can't do something detrimental. That's what we said. By an Eruv Tchumim, it's detrimental because you're limiting him from walking to the one side. He can now only walk to the other side. So that's detrimental. You have to get his permission. Eruv Chatzairus is generally beneficial. And that's why you're allowed to do it without informing him. The Mishnah over there where you can't do it, which Rebbe Yehuda would agree to, is where it's one Eruv between two Maboys. Because if you make the Eruv with the one Ma'Boy, He's not allowed to carry into the second Mabui. According to the opinion you are following, you're only allowed to carry in one, you're only allowed to join one Eruv. So if you, again, you allow him to carry into. if you make the Eruv with this Mabui, he's not allowed to carry in the other Mabui. Maybe he would prefer to carry into the other Mabui, so it is detrimental. And that's why if it's one Khotsev between two Mabuis, Mabos, that would be, problem, it would be problematic to do it on his behalf. So, we're, so yeah. But didn't we learn in the Gemara on that Mishnah, this shows us that rebbe Yehuda, that his colleagues argue on rebbe Yehuda? So, so, we're stuck. On the one hand, we, lo- we have lots of reasons to say that rebbe. Ye- we have the reasons to say that Rabbi Yehuda would not be arguing. The one reason is that um, Rabbi Yashur Ben-Levi says whenever Rabbi Yehuda starts his opinion with when is this he's not arguing and the second um, aspect is uh, and, and we show and we showed how you can understand the previous Mishnah is not arguing and he says oh but what about Rav Shizbi in the name of Rav Chizdo?" who says clearly that they are arguing and also here we have Omar Rabbi or Shmuel. the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda implying that they are arguing so, are they or aren't they arguing? Does Rebbe Yehuda and the sages agree or are they arguing? So, ella, Gabra, Gabra, Karamis, you can't raise a contradiction between two different opinions. Oh, it's, a it's actually a Machloikes, Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi, and Shmuel. Mar Sobor Pligi, Shmuel, and Rav Chizda, Rebbe Shizbi, the name of Rav hold they are arguing. Or Mar Sobor Pligi and the other opinion, Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi, would hold they're not arguing. So, they're two different ways of understanding the Machlokes Reb Yehuda and the Rabbonin, whether they argue or not, and that's actually a Machlokes amora'im. Okay, we'll leave it there for today, and we'll finish the perech tomorrow.